0: This is a place where history and story meet. This is a fire where we talk of forgotten things and in speaking of them, reclaim them. This is a kind of ceremony to give voice to the lost and shed light on places where those with no good intent tried to spread darkness. Get around to hear the Anansi Chronicles. In the Pueblos of the Southwest, the Native American tribes of the Opie Zuni, and Kerasan celebrate the Kachina. Kachinas are a pantheon of guardian spirits. These spirits are believed to have once lived among the tribes. They were the defenders of the tribe who were sent back to the spirit world after falling in battle. There are ceremonies of mass dancers dedicated to the Kachina. There is a Kachina named Chakwaina. In art and ceremony, he is depicted as an ogre, with a black mask, a goatee, and yellow eyes. Usually appearing in the Kiva dances during January, he chants, All Kachina are warriors. The subject of today's story has had many names, but most people believe that the first was Mustafa Azenmori. However, those who know him may know him as Estevanico de Moor he was captured and sold as a slave in 1522. Originally a Muslim, he was made to convert to Catholicism so he could travel to the so-called New World with Andres Durante de Carranza, his Spanish owner. The part of his journey that would eventually earn him a place in our stories began in February of 1528 when Estevanico left Cuba as part of an expedition with the newly appointed Governor of La Florida, Panfilo de Narvaez, their plan was to go to Islas de las Palmas near Mexico, but nature had other plans. They were shipwrecked and ended up in what would eventually become St. Petersburg, Florida. The shipwrecked men marched three hundred miles, buckling the elements and the local tribes. It was as if even then some power was telling them they did not belong in this place. In a desperate attempt to escape, they built boats and tried to sail along the Gulf Coast to Mexico, but again they would be reminded that this was not their place and they shipwrecked once more. This time, they were unable to fight off the local tribes and were captured and enslaved by native tribes on the Texas barrier reef. After five years of slavery, only four members of the original party remained, including Mustafa Azenmori, R. Estevanico. The three white men and the one African managed to escape captivity together and then they lived as medicine men among other tribes and slowly made their way back to Mexico City. Here it seems Estevanico escaped captivity only to be returned to another kind of bondage. This time, he was sold to Antonio de Mendoza, the viceroy of New Spain. But Estevanica was no ordinary man, and therefore was no ordinary slave. In fact, there are some records that say he may not have been a slave at all, but a free man. You see, Estevanica was a polyglot, and a critical member of a group sent by the governor in search of the fabled seven cities of Cibola. Estevanico traveled with the friar, Marcos de Niza, and because he was fluent in many of the languages of the native people, and he knew the area well, Estevanico scouted ahead with a group of local guides. Their instructions, when they found the wealth, send back a cross to the rest of the party. The size of the cross should reflect the size of the treasure. This is where history ends and our story begins. Mustafa was waiting for the guides to catch up. They were strong young men, but he had spent years in this place, not just living, but surviving, and that had made him a little stronger than them. He offered the two Castilian greyhounds water and absent mindedly in the distance. He said a prayer to the one god, the god he carried in his heart, even after they tried to wash him away like the brownish yellow dirt kicked to the back of his boots. He wanted to beat the sun across the hill before setting up camp, and the two men had agreed. His guides were brothers and they talked and laughed quietly amongst themselves as they walked. Mustafa, who had been renamed Estevanico, felt the pressure of the familiar loneliness on his chest. He smiled at the two men and continued carefully making his way over the uneven rock-filled ground. The sky was full of the orange light of the dying day. They were almost at the top of the hill, and they would have no choice but to camp. Mustafa was a medicine man, and he had learned how to treat snake bites and broken ankles. He carried the herbs and other things in his bag. But he did not like the idea of risking his life or the lives of these men for the Spanish crown. He had already led the four white men out of captivity, only to then be sold again. His angry thoughts were interrupted when he reached the summit. The sun was almost gone, the orange light just a dim glow now. But the city that was stretched out before them shone like a star. One of the brothers let out a loud whistle and muttered something to the other. It was the word that had launched this expedition into the desert. Cibola. Mustafa had heard the stories along the way, but he could never have imagined what lay before him. In the distance, there was a city of buildings that stretched high up into the air. The wide streets were dotted with a bustle of activity that matched any of the many cities he had seen in his travel. And most remarkably, every building he saw gave the yellow gleam of being made entirely of gold. One of the brothers said his name, Estevanico. The spell of the place shattered, and he winced as he was called by the name given to him by his captors. They wanted to build the cross, and they were right. This is what they had come for, and the city was still several days away. It was time to send news back to the friar. Mustafa sighed in agreement, and in truth, could not understand his reluctance. This would make the governor, and no doubt the crown, very happy. It might even secure his freedom. But, even with the tantalizing possibility of being allowed to explore this vast place without the shackles of his obligation to the crown, the possibility of freedom, it was with a heavy art that he started to gather the branches and the reeds he would need to build a big enough cross to show what they had found. Mustafa clicked his tongue twice and the ounds settled under a nearby tree. He tossed them the bones he carried in his pack and they chewed contentedly, the gold city reflected in their round black pupils. That night he could not sleep. He saw the gold walls of the city in his mind's eye. His hands could almost feel the smooth coolness of it. But there was also something else. He could not see what it was, but he felt it calling to him. He tossed, turned, and sweated on his blanket as he searched the city in his dream, looking for something. Mustafa spoke many languages, and the song that filled his ears seemed to be using all of them. In the city that was Cibola, someone was calling his name. His real name, not Estevanico or Estevan the Moor but Mustafa ibn Muhammad ibn Abdusalem al-Zamori. He was up before the sun, and although he was sad to see the brothers go, because it would take both of them to carry the massive cross back to the friar and the rest of the group, he was eager to get closer to the city, and to hear that song again. He knew that he would be expected to wait for the rest of the party. He was their diplomat after all, Able to speak the language, and more importantly, his respect for the people who were the true ears of this place meant that he could deal fairly with them. He should wait and strategize. But as soon as the base of the broad cross disappeared in the distance, Mustafa clicked his tongue once for the dogs to come, and then he started walking towards Cibola. The pull of the place was so strong that he stumbled a few times and almost twisted his ankle when he slipped on a large rock. He swore loudly, which made the dogs whimper. This would not do. He had not survived captivity within captivity, the wrath of the ocean twice, and the anger of the gods who lived here to collapse and die now. He would have to focus. He used the breathing technique that an old shaman had taught him and tried to teach the white men who were now all dead. As he breathed in and out, seated on the rock where he had slipped, Mustafa's mind cleared. He could still feel Cebola's pull, but it was more distant now, like the sound of the waves on a nearby shore. Now he could continue. The city of gold that seemed so close from the hilltop, But Mustafa knew it would still take many days to reach it. Between the ounce occasional kill, the things he carried in his pouch, and all that he had learned about surviving in this world, he was able to travel comfortably and on his own for a long time. Still, he was happy when he reached the village. It was a large village, but it was not as large as the city he sought. Mustafa could not see Sabola at the moment, but he felt its pull, and he knew he was moving in the right direction. The village was like many of the others he had passed through. And as always, Mustafa liked it when he could walk in alone without the soldiers and the others in the party, peddling the glory of their religion and their monarchy. He drew the dogs closer to him and let the people of the village look he knew they had never seen anything like him before, and he was patient while they examined him. Even if they had seen another man with black skin, Mustafa was tall, with a thick head of strong, untamed hair. His face was hidden beneath a beard. His dress was part medicine man, part Spanish nobility, for he had to play both roles at different times. He was flowing robes, owl feathers, a medicine man's gourd, and a green traveling vest. Mustafa watched the crowd gather, and he spread out his arms for dramatic effect, as well as to show them that he was not carrying any weapons. When the crowd was so thick that he could not walk any further, and the dogs began to growl defensively at his feet, he made the hound sit, and he spoke to the people. He tried a dialect that he knew was common to the tribes in these parts, and continued when he saw understanding on their faces. He told them who he was, a traveler and a medicine man. He told them what he could offer, healing, blessing, and stories from his travels. Finally, he told them what he was searching for, Cibola. At the mention of the last, the murmuring of the crowd grew louder, But the throng also began to part, and Mustafa saw, finally, what he was searching for. The medicine man of the village, carrying his own gourd. Mustafa had been taught the words of greeting for men who practiced their skill. And soon, the medicine man greeted him as a brother and invited him back to his home. The tribe's medicine man had a woman and two children, a boy and a girl. They sat on the floor of the sparsely furnished apartment, laughing and talking. As promised, Mustafa told the family stories of his travels, of shipwrecks and daring escapes that made the children's eyes gleam. Later, when the rest of the family had gone to bed, Mustafa and the medicine man smoked a pipe and spoke of more serious things. The medicine man was curious how Mustafa had heard of Cibola, and why he came here to find it. Mustafa told him what he had seen at the summit of the hill over two weeks ago, and because the man was sharing his house with him, and because the man was a medicine man, he told him also of the dreams and the song he heard. His host listened without comment for a long time, Then he just nodded and wished Mustafa good luck in his search. They smoked the pipe for a little while after that, and then both men went to bed. Mustafa dreamed of the Golden City and the song that called him by its true name. The next morning, however, he woke up in a sweat. The dogs, sensing his tension, moved from their corner and settled in protectively around him. Mustafa did not push them away, but he could not be calmed. He waited impatiently for the medicine man to rise, and then told him they had to leave the village. He told the man that those who followed thought it was their destiny to conquer, and they would march right through this village on the way to Cibola. Even if the friar's party did not destroy them, the army that came afterwards inevitably would. He urged them again they would have to move. The medicine man looked at his woman and his children and then back to Mustafa and smiled. He told Mustafa that his family had lived on this land since before the ills had been ills. They belonged to the land in this spot as much as the man, the woman, the boy and the girl belonged to each other. They would not move. He promised to tell the others of the tribe what Mustafa had said but he did not think that any of them would move either. He also promised Mustafa that he would not allow such men as he had described to follow his friend to Cibola. If Cibola called Mustafa, then that was his destiny, and the medicine man and the Zuni people had a duty to help protect it. When Mustafa left the village, he prayed to the one God that the faith of these people in each other and in their destiny would be rewarded. The pressure of the loneliness returned as Mustafa moved further away from the Zuni village. It was eventually replaced by Cibola's song, and this time he did not push it away. Mustafa and his own kept walking well into the night. After a few more days of traveling, long after the stars were high in the sky, Mustafa finally reached Cibola. It was exactly as he had seen it in his mind. The wide, white stone road led straight through the city, and on the other side were the gold walls of impossibly high buildings. The streets, however, were empty. The sounds of Mustafa and his hounds echoed through the seemingly deserted place. He called out in the seven native languages that he knew, and then he tried Spanish, and finally he tried again in his own Berber. The last felt strange on his tongue after so many years, but still there was no answer. He could however hear the song now, calling his name as strong as ever so he followed it deep into the heart of the city until he reached the city center there he saw the largest building he had ever seen it was as wide as a ship and the strange wooden doors were thrown open the song was so loud now that it was like the winds of the hurricane that had once almost killed him had suddenly found him again Mustafa left the whimpering but disciplined dogs at the door and walked inside. He could feel many presences on each side of him, but when he tried to look at them, his eyes hurt. He continued deep into the room, moving towards an object that seemed to change shape whenever he tried to focus his eyes on it. Before the constantly shifting thing, a single robed figure was waiting for him. Mustafa was not afraid, but he was surprised and disturbed by his lack of fear. Something in this room was familiar. It reminded him of the kindness of the medicine man, the playfulness of the two brothers who had been his guides a few short weeks ago. It felt as familiar as the contents of his hila's gourd, or the stillness he felt when he practiced the breathing exercise. The figure in the robe looked like a beautiful woman he could make up parts of her olive skin and jet black hair. You have shown us greatness, Mustafa ibn Mohammed ibn Abdusalem al-Zamori. The woman's voice was strong and beautiful, and it made Mustafa's eyes sting to hear his true name spoken by another for the first time in so long. And when she talked to him, it was in no language that he had ever heard, but it was also as if she used all the languages he knew. You survived the storms and captivity twice over. You have seen much of our world and you have treated it and us with respect. You have learned the ways of the shaman, but you have not lost yourself in them. The Kachina would like to show you more. We would like to invite you to dance with us before the lake of the dead. The destinies of our people and yours are about to be intertwined in a way that can never be untangled. So it is only right that we know you as you know us. Mustafa heard her words and did not doubt them. He was standing in a city of gold, a world away from where he had been born. He had seen enough things to know that this woman and the crowd gathered silently behind him were the spirits of this place, not just of Cibola, but of all of Turtle Island. He could not find words that seemed right, so he just nodded. The woman smiled beneath the hood, and her teeth gleamed, which made her face even more beautiful. You have had many names, Mustafa ibn Muhammad ibn Abdusalam al-Zamori. You have been Esteban, Esteban, Estevanico, and more. We will give you yet another name. We will call you Chakwaina. Mustafa repeated the name Chakwaina, and it fit him better than any that the Spanish had given him. It fit him as well as his true name. As the words left his mouth, the walls of the building and all the walls of the city began to fade. He looked back quickly to see the ounds running towards him, and they were also fading. Then he looked down at his own hands and saw they were fading too. In several blinks of an eye, the entire Golden City was gone, leaving behind only an unmarked piece of desert for the friar and the soldiers who would come afterwards. They would not bother searching for him, because the people of the Zuni tribe that they met, would tell them the story of a black man who had been killed and buried before they arrived. As for the Golden City, well the Zuni tribe's people did not know anything about such a remarkable claim. By the time Estevanico became one of the first recorded outsiders to set foot in what would later become Texas, the slave trade as we understand it was beginning to take shape. But the birth of slavery was also the birth of resistance. And in our next episode, we will talk about one such form of resistance, that was initially disguised as dance but would eventually reveal itself to be a potent and powerful way of fighting back. Thank you for coming to our fire and listening to the Anansi Chronicles. I know there are many fires and many histories you could have listened to instead and I also hope that you choose to continue to come back. If you are interested in the history behind this story, you can use the links in the show notes to learn more. If you really like these shows and you want to support them, here are some ways you can do that. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at AnansiPod. You can follow the Anansi Chronicles on Facebook. If you are willing and able, then there is also another path where you can choose to support us financially by donating to our Ko-fi the link of which is in the show notes. You can also always reach out to us to suggest future episodes or tell us what you thought about today's episode by emailing AnansiPod at gmail.com. The Anansi Chronicles is a precious metals production.